Hello and welcome to the Norwich City Tactics Podcast. I'm Sam and I'm joined by James and Adam as we discuss Norwich's 6-2 defeat to Plymouth. Plymouth were coming off the back of a 4-1 loss to Bristol City and Adam, they made significant changes to their team. Yeah, so I just feel like this is maybe something that wasn't picked up on that much in sort of the aftermath of of the 6-2 defeat and how we got fresh, but I do think quite an interesting little tidbit from it because yeah it does seem like Plymouth really prioritized this fixture over the Bristol City fixture there's no other way to see it really I mean I can't think of any other side certainly of a standard of like Plymouth who would drop out basically their three four best players in their side for for a standard championship game and a winnable championship game you would say that Bristol City away is for Plymouth and yeah they they basically changed out their whole front line so there was no Whitaker who obviously destroyed us uh, Azaz who again had a, a great game against us he was also missing Mumba wasn't there either I think that might have been a slight injury to related one from from what I hear but generally I think it was very interesting that Plymouth obviously saw this Norwich game as a game that they felt that they could definitely get three points from if they played their full-strength side. I, th- I think they had this one marked out for for a number of weeks. Yeah, and it seemed like a, a sensible decision in the end from uh, Stephen Schumacher's uh, position uh, in terms of the overall result. But James, I mean, you watched the first 30 minutes and were there any signs in that period that would see Norwich go on to lose 6-2? I guess looking back, uh, if you're sort of looking for the signs, you can sort of overanalyze it a bit and maybe pick, try and pick out even like the most minute details. There was there was definitely signs of us being vulnerable to counterattacks. There were times where we would often leave only the centre-backs behind the ball. We know they're not the most mobile pairing. So from that point of view, there's definitely a huge risk there. As we saw play out later, that played a huge part in several of the goals. We were actually fairly, I don't want to say dominant, because we didn't really create much, but we uh, we definitely had more of the sort of territory in the first like 15 minutes. They weren't necessarily interested in having the ball for long periods. It was definitely a plan from them to try and hit us on the break. They sat in with sort of two defence midfielders, two attacking midfielders and the striker sort of blocking out the middle and then used the wingbacks to push up on our fullbacks and try and uh, prevent us from playing through that way as well. I think they did a good job of sort of preventing us from finding that progression through the middle of the pitch. We had quite a lot of possession that would go out to the wings and then a uh, cross would be put in that would then be cleared. It's something that we've seen a lot recently, actually. We've been crossing a lot and it's been quite inefficient. Yeah, just to come in on that, um, Norwich have currently put the second most amount of crosses in in the Championship, which is a little bit of a worry because I think in August we didn't really look like that much of a crossing side we look to play a lot more through the central areas. So that has become a tactic that's become quite obvious and not particularly successful. Yeah, and I think the biggest frustration on the crossing thing, and I think we've covered this in in a couple of previous pods, but it's definitely worth mentioning again um, in, in, in the wake of the latest performance. That is, we've increased our crossing at the same time that Sergeant, who is the best player at getting on the end of crossing in both terms of his heading ability and his positioning is out it literally makes no sense whatsoever yeah when you're faced with uh, a team that is 
quite well organised in what was effectively a mid-block and quite well adept at sort of closing that space in the middle. You have to either be really good at crossing and really airy dominant in the box, which we weren't, or you have to... You have to have the bravery and the technical ability to just p- try and play through them. We didn't either. Um, I think it was a problem that Sarah was so deep. He was often having to pick the ball up off the defence with the whole of their team in front of him and sort of limited options to play through because um, I don't think Ida and Huang are necessarily the players you want trying to receive and turn in those tight areas. Yeah, so we, we didn't do a good job of playing through them. How did a Wang start in that uh, that first 30 minutes? What was his individual performance like? Because I definitely noticed as the half went on, he started to get more and more isolated from the rest of the team. And even when he was brought into the game, he wasn't very good at retaining the ball. So was that something that he struggled with during this period? Yeah, his, his touch seemed quite inconsistent. I guess he hasn't played a huge amount of football, so maybe you can understand that. There was one nice hooked pass out to the right, which put Stacey in. Generally... He didn't have like the kind of security you'd want on the ball from our strikers in the system where they're expected to drop in and receive in midfield. So I don't know if you want to break down, obviously, the most significant moment within that first 30 minutes, and that was Whitaker's opening goal. That was in the 15th minute. Was there anything Norwich could have done a bit better tactically to prevent that? I thought we had quite a few players that were just sort of caught quite high up the pitch. It's just a long ball forward and Gibson heads it back and then it's... It's headed back the other way by Randall and takes both Norwich midfielders out of the game because it goes back over their heads. And both Stacey and Yanoulis have both already advanced up the pitch as well, which I don't think is necessarily a good idea when you don't have like secure possession of the ball. Hardy comes back from an offside position, but obviously you can't really complain about decisions when you get thrashed. It is a shocking it's, decision by the line. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to interject that. It's so clearly yeah. offside. I have no idea how he's missed that. But yeah, anyway, sorry, continue. Yeah, so Gibson sort of stands and appeals after the ball's gone past him. Whiskers moved in off the right. This was a problem we had quite a lot during the game, was that they had those two sort of number 10s behind Hardy, uh, Whisker and Azaz, and they were just finding so much space in front of our defence because the midfielders, uh, just, they just had too much space to cover. And as players, they don't necessarily have the most positional discipline, McLean and Sarah. They like to sort of defend on the front foot. And they like to run off the ball as well. So they were just finding far too much space in front of that defence. This time it's Whitaker who gets on the end of it, runs into the box, squares up Duffy, manages to get it onto a stronger left foot. And uh, he wrong foots Gunn with the finish, sort of opens up like he's going to curl it and then just drags it and Gunn is just left standing. They also had a Zaz was supporting the box and was completely free if he wanted to roll it to the side. Yeah, Stacey was still up the pitch at that point and both midfielders were also up the pitch, still ahead of the ball. We were just completely caught out there. Yeah, David Wagner, I think he mentioned after the game about our rest defence um, and how poor that was. And I think that first goal is perhaps a good indicator of that. So to explain the rest defence, is basically all the players not involved in the attacking phase. Uh, so if Norwich have the ball, then usually the players in the rest defence are the two centre-backs, uh, Duffy and Gibson. And then usually Kenny McLean as well, because the full-backs are a bit further up the pitch and part of that attacking phase. But as you mentioned, James, um, and for that goal, it looked like the fullbacks had progressed so much. And even McLean and Sarah were slightly out of position. So, yeah, it, it pretty much came down to our vulnerability in that defensive zone just in front of the uh, the centre-backs. Yeah, and as I'm sure you'll say later when you discuss, particularly the third, fourth, fifth goals, uh, it was a massive problem. A lot of the talk's been about how we sort of collapsed from a mentality point of view. But then you look at how these goals played out on a tactical level. And it's quite obvious 
to see like how something like this could have happened because there wasn't really any attempt to rectify it either. We just kept committing men ahead of the ball whenever we had possession and they kept breaking every time they won it. Leading on from that, I think what Schumacher said was that he wanted to put Morgan Whitaker and Azaz as like these two tens just behind Hardy out of possession. Because if you got them a bit more centrally, then it meant that they would block passes going further up the pitch. So Sarah or McLean or the centre-backs found it more difficult to progress the ball. But when Plymouth won it back, they meant they had Whitaker and Azaz in these central areas. So it made them a little bit closer to goal and in more dangerous areas for them to counter-attack. Yeah, and there were so many counter-attacks that uh, involved them. Also, the wing-backs were very quick to spring up whenever they won the ball. There was a couple of moves in the first half where Whitaker had dragged Yunulis in field. Uh, there's one where you know it's actually followed him all the way across uh, to mark him for a throw-in, and then Edwards was then released into space down the right, which you knew us had left behind. So, in terms of the reaction after that goal, do you think there was anything that looked good or was particularly promising? From when I was watching it the first time, it didn't really look like a particularly negative reaction. But Norwich definitely failed to progress the ball on um, on so many occasions, and it did just end up in that U shape that you talked about in terms of the ball just being filtered from the left side to the right side and back again they just found absolutely no way to penetrate Plymouth yeah I think in the immediate aftermath we had a few minutes where it's just more of the same really where we sort of had the ball in their half but it was being forced out wide in that U shape and I think there was three crosses put in within the space of a couple of minutes there uh, a couple from Yanulis and then I think McLean after a corner. All three crosses were incomplete, intercepted, headed away by a defender. Again, it just shows that it's not going to be a sort of a repeatable way of creating chances for us. It's been quite inefficient, as we've seen from the way our goal scoring has dropped off since the injury to Sergeant. Nice. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention within that first 30 minutes or, or anything from a tactical or individual perspective? It's just, um, I did notice towards from sort of 25 minutes onwards, you can start to see the frustration creeping in a bit more. There are some errors, some overhit passes where you felt they were trying to force it, maybe. There was a couple more chances for Plymouth as well from corners where they actually played it short and managed to work a free man on the edge of the box for a shot. Uh, the first one was quite early in the game. It was laid back to Randall, I think, and Gunn was unsighted and had to make a save to this ball that bounced just in front of him. It looked quite awkward. And then the second one, Whitaker has a free shot from the edge and hits the side netting. If you let the same move produce a shot completely unchallenged twice in a row, that you have to sort of question the defending there. Yeah, so moving on to the next period of the game, uh, which is 30 to 60 minutes, I thought something that was quite interesting was uh, a goal kick that Plymouth took because I think it symbolised quite well how direct they went. And also Schumacher after the game, the Plymouth manager, he talked about how it was a deliberate action to go a bit more direct. He sort of said that he wanted to play out from the back a little bit more and I think in previous league games, they have, you know, passed out to the centre-backs. But actually, what he said was that because going direct was causing such a problem to Norwich in terms of constantly causing aerial duels, or for Norwich to then lose the ball, or the fact that they lacked all composure, uh, meant that he, car- he carried on wanting them to go more direct. Yeah, I think another reason why it was so effective was because they were so much more effective than us at winning those second balls. Um, they, so they had the two tens, obviously, behind Hardy, and then the two... Uh, center midfielders sitting behind them, which meant that uh, balls went up towards Hardy, even if they were headed back by us. They had four players in that area uh, ready to win the second balls, often against R2 with just Sarah and McLean. They were set up in a way that meant that they could be effective from long balls. Whereas if you compare it to us, whenever we go long, the, the midfielders often be so deep that 
they wouldn't be able to get up in support and win those second balls. So it would often just be given possession away. Absolutely, yeah. That extra man in the... Or extra couple of men within the centre of the picture of Plymouth meant that they were, they were able to win the ball back so much easier. I guess, obviously, the, the next goal really kind of symbolised Norwich's naivety again because from a free kick that went short. And I think I've said before in other podcasts how when teams take corners or free kicks, sometimes the short corner or the short free kick to get the ball into the box for a cross has caused problems for Norwich a little bit. It's Whitaker and Azaz who are taking the free kick and it's only Rowe in the wall. So basically all they do is just pass to one another. That creates an overload. Um, and I think Whitaker is sent down the right wing and he's got a, a free cross into the box because Rowe just can't get back and, and block it. Um, I'd slightly criticise Ben Gibson for this goal, but he's basically the wrong side of his namesake, Lewis Gibson, who's the other centre-back. And he's just never aggressive enough to get in front of him. So Gibson gets the ball uh, first from that cross. It hits the bar and comes back to Scar, who pretty much has an open goal. Obviously fairly fortunate because when it comes off the bar, it can go anywhere. Plymouth deserve that luck a little bit. And, and Norwich are 2-0 down in a very, very bad situation. I still think during this period, even though there were defensive lapses from Norwich, they were still really, really poor in possession. Obviously, by this point, um, they've taken a real knock in confidence. But even with the ball, they were playing some very risky passes. Like there's, I think it's around the 36th minute where Duffy avoids playing a pass to McLean. He goes back to Gunn. Gunn plays it back to Duffy. And Duffy plays like a square ball to Sarah, who's getting pressed. And you should never, ever like pass to a player under that much pressure who has to play a pass first time so close to your goal. So this means that Sarah has to get rid of the ball. Um, and actually, it's Randall that's able to tackle him, who's the player who's pressing him from Plymouth. And therefore, Plymouth have a pretty good chance um, on the edge of the box, which doesn't come to anything. Uh, I think it even might be a block shot from Whitaker. Uh, but yeah, in the end, again, it just shows their the naivety and um, the basic mistakes that were, that were happening under pressure. I think one of the more frustrating things, again, about the possession was that even though Plymouth were playing quite directly, Norwich started to play a bit directly as well. So when they couldn't find a way through the central areas and in the half spaces, they themselves were trying to find balls over the top. The thing is that when you play a long ball over the top of the defence, it has to be pretty accurate. And obviously it has to beat the, the centre-backs. They weren't able to do this on at least two or three occasions in this period, which meant, again, that it was really easy for Plymouth to defend this. They'd win a header. It would go back into midfield. And yeah, because um, Plymouth had a few more players in those positions, uh, it meant that they were able to, to win back possession and, and retain the ball. Yeah, it does show the need maybe for us to have that controlling, composed midfielder to just sort of set the tempo. I don't think McLean and Sarah really do that. I think McLean particularly was um, extremely direct with his passing, attempted several long switches. And Sarah... He is generally pretty secure, but I think after we went two goals down, he started trying to maybe force it a bit more uh, than usual. And that's probably what led to him conceding a few turnovers in that period of the game. So maybe Forshaw can be that man. Yeah, I completely agree um, on that analysis of Sarah. And actually during this period, um, especially towards the end of the half, that desperation started to kick in. But you also saw that not only was he playing passes that were a bit imprecise or inaccurate, he was also taking too many touches on the ball. So remember, there were a couple of passes where if he played it within two or three touches, he could have at least a, a teammate in a really good position. In the end, he took about three or four extra ones. That would lead to Plymouth getting back in position or the player he was going to he was supposed to pass not being on anymore. So, um, Or even there was a run that had gone offside or there were loads of different areas where because of his tentativeness on the ball, uh, it meant that, that Norwich weren't able to 
to create anything. Another game that he really struggled. Um, I think we've seen that since Rotherham, and his dip in form has been quite alarming. So moving on to, um, yeah, probably, well, there were many bad periods of this game, but um, the two goals that happened at the at the end of the half. Obviously, it's a ball uh, up the pitch, which Duffy should put out. I think he takes a first touch. He's not quite sure what to do with it. Given the, the timing of the game and considering the game management, they should probably just see that ball goes out and then Norris just get into half time and, uh, and regroup and restructure. But he doesn't put it out, which allows Hardy to get the ball. Hardy passes it to Whitaker. And it's a shot from the edge of the box that goes in. I'm, I'm more forgiving for Angus Gunn for this goal um, because both Gibson and Duffy come out to block the shot from Whitaker. And it goes through them. I don't think Gibson's blocking shape is particularly good. He makes himself a little bit smaller. It's always obviously much more difficult for a goalkeeper to save a shot that comes through bodies. Uh, it's a really well-hit shot. It's a nice technique from Whitaker. A lot of pace on the ball. And I think maybe Gunn dives a little bit too late. You can see that once the ball's got over halfway to the goal, he's only then diving then, which means that he can't um, push off his left foot and get to the ball to, to turn it wide. I also think there's a little bit of swerve on the ball. It's pretty hard to tell from the camera angle, but actually I think the ball starts centrally and then takes a little bit of a turn to the left, which again is really difficult for a goalkeeper. So I'm pretty sympathetic with him for this goal. I mean, obviously a better goalkeeper does save it and there were things leading up to that that shot that could have been prevented. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've mentioned it already, but the rest defence, to use the term. Duffy was really the only player behind the ball. Uh, Gibson was caught a little bit higher up when I think Sarah is the one who gives it away. Uh, pass it straight into one of the opposition players. And then the midfielders are only really actually getting back as uh, Hardy takes control of the ball and finds Whitaker. Absolutely. But leading on from what you've just said, James, to the uh, to the fourth goal, I think it's probably one of the worst bits of keeping I've ever seen from Angus Gunn. I mean, again, like before that's happened, uh, there's a quite a risky pass that Sarah plays in Plymouth's half. I mean, he gives the ball away and there perhaps isn't a very good counter press from Norwich. So when they lose the ball, they don't win it back very quickly. I think that's that's down to Sarah. But anyway, it's a nice touch from Hardy on the halfway line. He's able to take the ball under control and then passes it to Azaz, who's running through. It's a pretty poor piece of defensive work from McLean, who doesn't track the run from Hardy. And actually, what Azaz could do is just play Hardy in anyway, um, and he'd be through one-on-one. He obviously does that feint, uh, where he cuts onto his right foot, looks like he's going to shoot Azaz. And then Duffy and McLean, I mean... The way that they contort themselves and they can't make any effort then to get back and, and block the shot is um, pretty extraordinary, really. I mean, it just sums up what a horrible half and what a horrible game Duffy had, really, because he just really sells himself and just can't get back to block the ball. But McLean, as well, is as is equally culpable. The shot itself from Azaz, I think it's all down to Gunn's positioning. He's too far over to the right. Um, I'm not quite sure what's happened there. He's perhaps lost himself slightly where he's in goal. He's taken a yard or two too close to his, his near post. But I don't think it's even that well hit from Azaz. It's not a lot of pace on the ball. But for some reason, Gunn just can't push off his right foot and um, and dive to his left to get the ball. It's just a complete on the shambles from a defensive point of view. Yeah, so moving into the second half, um, there's obviously a couple of substitutions. Plachetta and Forshaw come on for uh, Hawang and Fashnacht. Uh, which I don't think anybody could disagree with. Both Fashion Act and Hwang had pretty poor individual performances. But I still think even though the team had gone in at half-time, the fact that they'd obviously got a bit of a bollocking from David Wagner because they would have been given more tactical instructions, actually they just still came out headless. There were still some absolutely diabolical decisions made. Um, I think it was in the 
48th minute, where Plymouth nearly score again, where Gibson and Duffy have gone up for a free kick to cross into the box, basically. And then Forshaw plays it to Rowe, who plays it to Sarah, who then plays it back to Forshaw. And there's no cross anymore, but Duffy and Gibson are still up there. And Gibson comes back, and Duffy, for whatever reason, decides to stay in the opposition penalty box, uh, just kind of waiting for the cross to come in, which is never going to happen. It's kind of hard to think that a player of that experience, who must have been in that scenario so many times, doesn't decide to then get back in defence. Yeah, again, pretty unforgivable and, and unbelievable. So uh, Plymouth create that chance because a pass from McLean gets intercepted. He really telegraphs it, um, really easy to to get cut out. No one's dropped into cover Duffy by this point. Forshaw doesn't press quick enough. Randall passes to Azaz and um, Azaz puts Whitaker through. Yeah, um, he should score. He should get his hat-trick at this point. He obviously does a little bit later. But yeah, it was it was shocking to see, to be honest. When you go in at half-time, you think these players are going to come out with a clear state of mind and they still look so ragged and bad in their decision-making. Yeah, on the uh, point about Duffy, I think for the fifth and sixth goals, he actually did something pretty similar, where for both goals, when the ball actually goes in, he's still sort of like 30, 40 yards up the pitch. Um, I think that the sixth goal was, uh, obviously we'll discuss later, was from our free kick, and he'd obviously gone up and uh, hadn't made it back. Given that he's going to be one of the senior players in the squad, yeah, it's not really something you'd expect from him. Um, and really sort of typified the complete head loss that was this game. Yeah, he's pretty coupled as well for the fifth goal that comes a little bit later. I think it's this point that I just want to say that Plymouth had uh, dropped back a little bit. So I'd say like their pressing shape was definitely noticeable in the first half because they had three players quite close to Sarah or quite close to whichever player had possession. Again, we've kind of discussed that, how their counter-attack was so effective because of those three players um, in those positions. Uh, I think they basically went from a 5-2-3 out of possession to a 5-4-1 out of possession in the second half. And again, they were 4-0 up. They could drop a little bit deeper and they were just waiting for Norwich again to to lose the ball and and create a counter-attack. So they were slightly a bit more conservative, but they were still really efficient and, and pretty ruthless. It was just before the fifth goal which you saw a really nice piece of play. And that was because Sarah had moved slightly further forward. There was a nice combination between him, uh, McLean and Plachetta. Uh, that was Norwich's best chance of the game thus far, uh, where Sarah crosses to Ida and he just puts it straight at the goalkeepers, doesn't quite score. But again, it was kind of an indication maybe about how Sarah should have started in that position just behind Ida. Um, and it shouldn't have been Hwang. That was probably the best piece of play. And it was happening close to the 60th minute. So... It just shows you how Anadine Norwich have been in possession up until that point. But finally, um, for the end of this period, I'm just going to discuss the the fifth goal, uh, which again, is just comes from a really poor pass from Forshaw. I actually think during this first 15 minutes, he had a really bad succession of actions. There were lots of times that he gave the ball away. He offered a little bit of control. He did the basics quite well, but there were still some pretty imprecise and risky passes that he played, especially one um, on the edge of his own box that he gave away, nearly led to another shot on goal. So he's really struggling during this period and Norwich lose the ball because he should pass it back because uh, he's under a little bit of pressure. He tries to play it first time forward to McLean, who then gets tackled. And again, Hardy turns Duffy. So yeah, another mistake from, from Duffy there. He can't get back and disrupt play. Hardy, I think, puts it down the left-hand side and with Stacey out of position, that just means Azaz has pretty much got a free run. Uh, and with Whitaker getting into the box, Gibson basically just can't get back and defend. I think it was really noticeable in this action, how slow Gibson is and how he struggles with pace. Because he's got a pretty good head start. And also, I don't think it's a particularly quick cross into the box. But he just can't get himself back into position to block that for a corner. Obviously, a lot of fans were criticising the lack of pace we have in defence. 
and obviously criticising the recruitment considering we've lost our quickest defender to Nottingham Forest in in Omobamadali at the end of the window. But it was really apparent then that when Norwich are trying to defend against pace with Gibson and Duffy, then it's just a bit of a car crash. And and yeah, nothing that Gunn can do about the finish. And that puts Plymouth 5-0 up. Yeah, um, I guess, to be fair, if you want to offer a bit of mitigation to Forshaw there, is that Stacey does give him a 15-yard sideways pass that the, the guy's already on it as soon as it leaves Stacey's foot. It's a bit of a hospital pass. Um, but he could, yeah, as you say, he could have maybe gone back to the keeper. I think it was Fark, actually, who said that uh, he doesn't allow sideways passes in his team for that exact reason, that uh, it's so easy for teams that are switched on defensively to just spring up on them and win the ball. And then quite often uh, with a sideways pass like that, at the, at the back, you're left with players stranded ahead of the ball. Ultimately, that played quite a big part in the goal. Okay, so moving into the final period of the game. But Adam, Norwich did improve a little bit during this period. We saw a couple of goals from Adam Ida. But was there anything within that initial phase that you felt Norwich did well? Or perhaps was it just Plymouth switching off a little bit? Yeah, um, obviously we in of the period of the game, which Norwich actually win. So that's good news. <laughs> Famous 2-1 victory on the Bull City. Um, yeah, but this... <laughs> The last 30 minutes of this game was, yeah, it, it basically had like a very obvious pattern to it, right? Plymouth were just happy to sit in. I sort of saw it as they were sitting in like a 5-1-3-1 for a lot of it. And they basically just waited for Norwich to make an horrendous error, which we duly did on a number of occasions. And obviously they scored a couple of goals from those, but they also had other chances as well. In terms of sort of Norwich's play and possession, I found it quite interesting that yet again, Quachetta came on. Now, <laughs> I really don't think this was the game for Quachetta to come on and uh, and change things. Quite soon after he came on, um, he did put in a fairly decent cross for Rowe and Rowe didn't quite get on the end of it. But what was really notable for me is that basically Quachetta does not get an opportunity in this sort of position to cross the ball again until injury time I think it is so basically he's brought on to have two or three moments one in just after he came on and when one right at the end of the game he he was involved in a nice move with Janulis that I come on to a bit later but yeah generally that sub was a waste of time on about the 65th minute, this was one of the occasions where Norwich um, basically got caught. Sara just tries to thread sort of a ball through to Pochetta, and Pochetta's moved into kind of a central position. But there's two Plymouth players right in front of him, and Sara's pass is really bad. I mean, it's both easy to read and really poorly executed. Plymouth break from that. Norwich just get enough numbers back in time to sort of avert the danger. But maybe with like one or two better decisions there on that Plymouth counter, they, they could have had quite clear three-on-three. And it might have been a, another goal for them at that point. On 67 minutes, Hernandez came on for row. That, that obviously becomes notable sort of a few minutes later. But yeah, I think sort of around this spell, I think you were right to criticise Forshaw's passing at times, Sam. But I was quite impressed with him overall, I would say, in the second half. And I do feel like it does give us another option to try in these coming weeks to be honest and and it was sort of really this period of the game 65 to I think it was about 80 where he was like really good at sort of clipping balls into space or and clipping balls right into wingers feet sometimes I was a little bit disappointed with either I think it was either a winger or uh, Norwich fullback just not quite anticipating it enough but I do feel that 
you know, that come obviously once they get to play with Forshaw a bit more and they can anticipate the sort of passes he likes to play in and the areas he likes to play in. But yeah, generally I thought the range of Forshaw's passing looked really interesting, really good. And given that we're developing into a side that likes to play a lot down the sides and, and cross the ball in, then him clipping balls out wide into players into space is probably going to be something that we see utilised a lot. Yeah, shortly after... Plymouth fans take the piss, rightly so, by all laying us on around the 70th minute mark. Um, Norwich actually score. Yeah, so after some sideways passing uh, along our back line, uh, Gibson plays the ball into McLean. And then uh, McLean quickly puts it into Sara. That's, that's one of McLean's better passes of the day. Sara controls with his left and then shows some really good balance to play a lovely weighted pass to Ida. Ida lets it run across him for a bit and then gets his body in front of the Plymouth defender. And then what really impressed me here, because I, I remember watching live, I just didn't expect him to do it, but he basically hit it at the first opportunity he could get his foot on, on it. Um, and that actually caught the keeper a bit unaware, I think. Uh, so yeah, I'd really like either to show this kind of confidence, really, or first time ball striking. In future, I think it's going to help him a lot. It was a very clean strike as well, I have to say. It was, it was beautifully struck. And uh, yeah, it goes without saying. It was the highlight of the game from the Norwich perspective. I don't know if you guys had any thoughts on that goal. Um, just, yeah, like the way he sort of deliberately stepped over the ball to let it run onto a stronger side. Uh, that's what it looked like on the video anyway. I just like the sort of technique on the strike, how he's sort of facing towards the corner flag with his like, body orientation. But then Madge sort of hit it across himself and uh, gets a lot of power, which is quite hard to do with that technique because you can often end up sort of dragging it. It's the power and the way he takes it early while sort of not 100% set to shoot, uh, which catches the keeper out. And that's why he scores. Yeah, and interestingly, uh, a minute later, we were pretty much in behind straight away again. This time, I think it was Stacey. It, I really couldn't be 100% sure watching it. Back. But I think it's Stacey who switches right to left. Um, and then Janoulis plays a nice pass down the wing to release Prochetta. And then basically the pole plays the ball right back into Janoulis, who has sprinted into the box. But Janoulis doesn't take the perfect touch and he's slightly put off by a Plymouth defender. Ends up taking a bit wide, then just hits it first opportunity, drills the keeper, which is a bit unfortunate because I think it, he did have time to show a bit of composure there and maybe pick out a man in the box. That was quite a nice move from us, actually. And yeah, it, we could have easily been at 5-2 at that point, even before we scored a penalty. On 75 minutes, Duffy decides to play up front for a bit randomly, it seems. <laughs> Leaves us massively exposed in the transition that Plymouth almost score from. A couple of minutes after that, Hernandez wins a penalty off, off Mumba. Hernandez does well on this, but the foul does actually come outside the box. And then, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what Hernandez was doing after the penalty myself, but I wouldn't be doing that. I think <laughs> Mumba deserved it a little bit, to be honest. I think I think Mumba was giving a little bit to Stacey and, uh, and Roe during the game, and he was whipping up the crowd a little bit. So... Yeah, a part of me, part of me absolutely hates what Hernandez does sometimes on the pitch. But actually, I think that reaction was a little bit justified, even a little bit small time. Fair enough. Um, and uh, yeah, Ida steps up, and I have to say again, this is a great penalty. Sort of talking of ball striking, as we mentioned on his first goal, 
this penalty is struck brilliantly as well, um, right into the corner. Yeah, that gets us back to 5-2 with about 10 minutes to go, obviously. A comeback isn't on, but even if it was, Norwich are still sort of full of errors, even at this point. It's far from sort of a convincing uh, spell in the game, even though we've scored a couple of goals. And an example of this is, yeah, right after this goal, there's an awful basic miscontrol from Sarah. And if he had actually controlled and turned from a pass from Janoulis, this is into the final third, we potentially would have had another chance straight away. So yeah, that, that was kind of frustrating. But then, yeah, Plymouth managed that last 10 minutes exactly how you would expect a team in that position. You know, a couple of their players went down injured, I think, even though they probably weren't making sure they took any sting out the game possible and it kind of looked like it was petering out a bit and then in injury time quite a bit happens actually mainly Norwich uh, just affording Plymouth a few more counter-attacks one where Forshaw cuts out a pass but then tries a strange back heel and we almost got countered there it's like a bad Plymouth pass I think uh, ends up going out for a throw in then shortly after that Janulis tries to find Sarah that's well cut out and then Plymouth are pretty much in on goal yeah when Gibson follows Bundu and and he gets basically turned really easily. I mean, he's followed him into his own half. We have seen Gibson do this against other strikers this season. He he just gets so easily turned here. And then, yeah, the ball goes into Azaz. And um, I think Azaz ends up forcing quite a good save from Gunn. Um, I mean, it's one you would probably expect Gunn to make, but he does make it. And then finally, the last Plymouth goal. Sara, uh, the overhit free kick. And then uh, Bundu yeah, plays in Cundall. It's kind of a scuff pass, not a particularly great pass, but does enough and uh, Cundall finishes with ease to make it 6-2 with, uh, yeah, I think you guys mentioned there, with Duffy, obviously, yeah, at the other end of the pitch for that goal as well. So, all in all, a disastrous day for Norwich, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit again in a minute. Yeah, so overall, James, uh, yeah, as Adam's just said, an absolutely horrendous day for, for Norwich. But overall, what was your opinion of the tactics? Was there any trends or was there any analysis that you, you felt represented uh, what happened at Home Park on Saturday? Uh, so it's fair to say this is like the first time this season where our setup in possession has been sort of really exploited to the max. There's been um, games where we've shown signs of it. I think I did mention earlier in one of the pods that space between the midfield and defence has the potential to be exploited just because of the way both midfielders are sort of front foot defenders and they like to go out and press and go out and try and win the ball. There's not really someone in there who is sort of good at sensing danger and covering space. While Wagner's preferred system doesn't really use like a a ball winner or a, a six as such necessarily I think this is one game where we did lack that kind of player someone just applied the gaps when we lose the ball someone did like the positional discipline to stay behind the ball when we have it and uh, give us that better rest defence it's also kind of concerning that the centre-backs put in performances that were quite that bad I know they were exposed quite a lot by the way we lined up but they both did a pretty horrible job at dealing with it all day it's concerning because we sold Omar Delhi and uh, we obviously brought in Danny Bart, who, yeah, he won player of the season at Sunderland, but uh, it doesn't seem like he's going to be the kind of player to really sort of improve that recovery pace in the high line. From a recruitment point of view, you can maybe uh, say they were a bit light in that area. It is a performance that throws up concerns as to uh, more so than any other, like how we're going to do for the rest of the season. 
Yeah, exactly. It does feel very difficult to see Norwich having a successful season after this. Maybe it's a bit short term, but after a day like that, it does feel almost it could define the the whole year. Yeah, for me, like I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, I think all great teams defend as a team, and Norwich didn't do that today. I know Duffy and Gibson were were really really poor. Probably two of the worst individual performances they've had in their career. But the whole team didn't defend well. What really caught Wagner out was Schumacher uh, changing formation. So they've been essentially playing 4-3-3 for most of their season. They did play 3-4-3 last year when they uh, when they got promoted from League One. And I think that might have taken them a little bit by surprise. Because, yeah, having those three players, Hardy, Whitaker, and um, Azaz, in those front three positions, in those, that sort of central or half space meant they were able to counter-attack really well. And yeah, as we've already illustrated, the rest defence was pretty poor. Often, it would just be Duffy and Gibson completely exposed without McLean or Sarah doing any sort of shielding or any sort of protection. So yeah, a complete omni-shambles from the coaching um, into the individual performances, really. I think one of the, the scariest things for me is that that is a blueprint in how to beat Norwich. If you ever want to prevent their fullbacks from getting forward, you play wing-backs. If you ever want to suffocate them in the central areas, then you play three midfielders. And then, yeah, that prevents Sarah from playing any sort of progressive forward passes into the final third. Not only is it a really bad defeat, but I think we could see other teams uh, set up like that. And um, he needs to adapt, basically. When a team like that does the, the same thing, he needs to come up with a solution pretty quickly. But I've always been worried about his adaptability. I never thought he was a very malleable coach in terms of changing system or changing roles within that system. So... He's got a massive, massive job on his hand now because I just feel that Norwich could be exposed like that on the counter-attack in transition for the rest of the season. The only thing that I would probably say is that we didn't really see it coming. I know there's been some pretty average performances starting from the Rotherham game and we did talk about on the last podcast how we didn't really deserve to beat Stoke. If you just look at Duffy and Gibson's performances, all their penalty box defending, all their 1v1 defending has been pretty good, pretty solid, apart from a couple of mistakes in, you know, in previous games. But... I don't think anybody saw them playing that badly. And, and that goes for other individuals as well. So all we can do is just pray that it was a complete freak result and the players that we've mentioned will never play as badly as that for their season. But it does seem like an uphill task now to to get the season back on track. But Adam, is there anything else you want to add in terms of a tactical or an individual perspective? I think my concern is once you've seen a team deliver this sort of performance once, you're very likely to see it again. This isn't just from the perspective in terms of how we fell apart, like mentally, as you know, the whole point of this podcast is, and James touched on it earlier as well, there was a lot of focus on on sort of the mentality side of things. But, you know, this was yeah us falling apart tactically as well and, and just not having any answers. And that is really worrying for exactly... For exactly the reasons you mentioned about this being sort of a blueprint as well going forward for, for teams to copy. So, yeah, it's a, it's a huge worry overall. I, I mean, it's very difficult to sit here a month on from how positive I think we all felt at the end of August. Because I think, you know, we were praising this side, you know, at the end of August, not just for the wins that it got, but the performances they were delivering and the variety in our play. But yeah, September just saw a few sort of worrying trends creep into our play. Some I think we have warned of from quite early, you know, the tendency to cross the ball a bit too much, not really finding a solution to Sergeant 
being injured, I do worry for sort of the next few weeks because for this group of Norwich players to make up for it, it's going to take some big, big results in the coming week, I think, for people to forget about this quickly. You mentioned the way the sort of moods turned, and I think it's just a testament to like quite how bad it was. I don't think many Norwich fans will have seen many worse performances than that. I mentioned like individual players, the mentality on a tactical level, in terms of the players' weaknesses themselves, everything was just off, and that, I mean that's how you end up getting thrashed. Obviously, at this level, it's not acceptable, and you can understand why people have become so negative after just one game. I, I, I'll tell you one person who must be cursing their luck a bit, and that is uh, Narcis Perlach, because he did two interviews in the. I think it was actually in the lead up to a Stoke game. But um, in that, he was talking about how the various responsibilities he has uh, in the Norwich backroom staff. And one of them is, you know, he he works with the defenders. So this seemed like a particularly bad day for him. Uh, my thoughts were with him when we conceded the sit for final goal. You, you, yeah. you, don't want, you don't want it out there that you're the guy kind of leading the defensive coaching. And then for us to turn in that performance a few days later. Yeah, and I mean, to wrap up from my point of view, obviously it's not acceptable really that a team of our level loses 6-2 to a newly promoted team in this league. But the bottom line is it's not acceptable and the players will know that. The Warriors, they react to that in a negative way and lose confidence. I mean, we can only hope they react to that in a positive way and it drives them on to make sure it doesn't happen again. But uh, I mean, having seen the end of last season, it does really worry you that something like that could maybe happen again. Cool. Well, Adam, James, well done for having to rewatch that all over again. And thank you for listening to and supporting Norris City Tactics Podcast. Please subscribe to whichever platform you're listening to us on.